Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of the Code Commerce Series in Las Vegas. If you like this interview, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. So let's actually do a quick show of hands. Do we know what Stitch Fix is? If yes, raise your hand. Okay, we're, we're pretty good here. Any Stitch Fix customers in the audience? Thank Ooh. you. Do I see any men? I see some men. Cool. Um, okay, so for the couple of people who don't, I'll give the real quick uh, run through and you tell me if I'm wrong or right. You go online, stitchfix.com. You get asked a bunch of questions. You maybe can hook up your Pinterest account to get your t- what your tastes are in clothing. Stitch Fix sends me five items a month. I pay $20 for a styling fee. If I keep some of the items, that $20 goes toward the purchase of those items. And if I keep the whole fix, I get 25% off. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I think the what we really do is we deliver personal styling to men and women all across the country. Um, and just as you said, we um, collect data about you to better understand you. We're able to do the same thing about product. Um, and then through this kind of unique combination of data science and humans, we're able to deliver this 100% personalized experience where we deeply understand product, we deeply understand people, what happens at the, com- at the intersection of those two things, so that what we hear is, I never knew my jeans didn't fit until I got some from Stitch Fix and these fit me so much better than the ones I have. Or we hear, I never would have tried this dress on in a store and I love this dress and I've worn it three times this week. And so um, you know, we can really deliver that personal styling through, um, through really understanding product. So let's talk about the data science bit first. Um, We'll bring out the Jason Del Rey skepticism early on, but we'll talk about this. So if you talk to people in the fashion, talk to people in the fashion industry, some people like pure fashion, when you guys started, or maybe even the last couple of years, they would hear the data science thing and be like, if that's real, like, is that really happening? What's the advantage? Is there a real advantage there? And if so, why don't they do the whole thing via computers? Why do they need human stylists? So help, help, help convince me that the data science at your company is, is real and a real reason for how you're differentiating right now. Yeah, I mean, we could spend an, a whole hour on this. Um, to bring up a couple of concrete examples, so when our stylist, 100% of what we deliver is through a stylist choosing things for you. When she's making those selections, she has a recommendation score available to her, which is personalized to you, the combination of you and that product. And so every week, we generate 1.2 billion recommendation scores, and those are incredibly accurate. So Eric, who runs our data science team, um, he's never seen such a tight correlation of what we predict happens and what actually happens. So that the stylist has this fantastic information when she's sending you products where she may decide, I'm going to send these jeans which have a 72% chance of being kept, um, but I want to try this top which might only have a 30% 30% chance of being kept, but like I think it's a fun roll of the dice and I think it might work. And so when we look historic, when we look retroactively at what happened when we send out things that have a 73% chance or a 30% chance, the the kind of what actually happens and what we predicted is almost a straight linear line. Um, and that's, that's really kind of a testament to how strong the data science component is. Um, to give you one other, so a men's woven shirt, for example, Men's has been a new business for us that's been um, very successful and fun. Um, But on men's woven shirt, we'll take 30 different points of measurement on that shirt, including how far down is the first button, what is the bicep width. And all of that actually helps us to better understand, is this going to be good for somebody who prefers a regular fit or a slim cut? Um, And in the first couple of months of launching men's, we actually were able to use those points of measurement to 
improve the product so that we could see we could see kind of with extra small and extra large that um, that we weren't that we weren't being as successful as we could and so using customer feedback we were actually able to improve the success rates for those those sizes extra small or small and extra large um, by like 20 percent and that's really because we can use all of the data in a very actionable way um, because customers are giving us this data about what's working what's not working and why that really enables us to be able to improve over time so where, where does the work of the computers end and the work of the human stylist begin? And then is there a, is there a time when the human, like your, your computers are so good that, that you, don't need, you don't need people like us or people? period. So we use data science, I mean, all across our supply chain. And so there are some places where it is um, pretty much 100% data science. So deciding like, here's a client, which stylist should it go to, for example, or here's a client, which warehouse has the best inventory or the best selection for this client. So there are some places where um, the data science is the primary way that we operate. I guess in terms of the intersection within the styling cockpit of deciding what gets sent, the stylist is really that last mile and that combination of um, human human and data, I think, is really differentiated and also really important. Um, so as good as the data science is, there are going to be times when the human layer of judgment above that um, is going to be able to be incremental to the data science. And there's also just the relationship building aspect of what we're doing is personal styling. It's deeply personal. Um, building those relationships so that clients are excited to get their fix again and again um, is really driven by that human connection and um, our stylist's ability to get to know a client and to be able to um, um, you know, make her feel heard, make him feel heard. So um, Tristan mentioned just a bit earlier, uh, you know, the, the perhaps rising popularity of private label. I mean, private label has been part of retail forever, but it's a part of your business. Um, and you started, it seems like over the first few years, the clothing you sell is a combination of private label and also um, maybe smaller boutique brands. And when I talk to some women who you know, over time have churned out of Stitch Fix, one thing I hear sometimes is, sometimes I want like a higher end brand that I know. And so um, I guess the question is, have you started doing any of that? And is, that, is, is there a desire to go more premium with your product and does that fit into like what you guys do well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we are best in the world at is personalizing and that really means about price point and about brands as well. And so, um, you know, where we started was in more of a mass market price point, but at, over time we've been able to kind of grow at both ends of the spectrum to be able to offer more of the price points that she wants. Um, and so I don't have anything specific to share with you, but we've definitely already added quite a bit more in the higher price points, and it's a need that we see and that we hear from our customers. Are these household brand names or? or? Sure, oh, today we have Joie, we have Splendid, we have Trina Turk. Um, there's, you know, there's quite a few brands that you've heard of that um, that we carry now that we, that frankly we didn't carry three years ago, um, and you know over time our ability to be able to get the right thing for the right person that re the relationships that we have with our brands is really important. And so, on you ask about private label, we call them exclusive brands. That actually hasn't really grown as a percentage of our portfolio in the last few years. And um, that's, where does that sit at percentage wise? Um, we. Uh, I don't think that's a number we share. <laughs> Come on, we're like, I see a lot of friends around this room, so. <laughs> How about, I, um, guess, I, guess, I guess a number you tell me, warm, cold. Uh, 30. Um, it's, so it's lower than 30. Okay. Um, and so. 20. <laughs> it's lower than 30, and, um, and to be honest, like the relationship we have in the 
the place that we are in the brand ecosystem is so important for us. And so um, our exclusive brands in a lot of ways are really addressing opportunities that we see in the data of um, we need a men's woven shirt in a specific price and we're not able to find that as well in the market. Um, and so we're really able to opportunistically fill, fill in our assortment that way. Um, but the brand ecosystem, we love hearing some of our brand partners, we're like their only growth channel in their, or their only full price growth channel. Um, we hear that you know they see more you're traffic the new, to their website. The new department store. In a lot of ways, I think exactly. Yeah, I mean the the growth that they used to see in department stores, they're not seeing now, um, and so they're really excited about the connection they can build with clients through our channel. I mean that was the that was the other reason I asked the question about you know higher end brands is we see what happened this past holiday season and the last few, and I would think there are smart people running some of these brands that are selling, traditionally have sold direct, you know, mainly into department stores that are saying like, where is our growth coming from today? Mm -hmm. And so do you lean into that, that bad narrative from the other side of the, of know, the holiday I'm, season? I think it certainly helps. Um, you know, I think as, it's an interesting dynamic right now. And you know, a lot of these, there are a lot of fantastic brands that are just trying to figure out how do I reach the right customers? And, um, and to be able to reach them in a channel like ours where we're able to qualify to say this, this customer is looking for business casual clothes and a price point and a fit that's gonna be great for you. I mean, that just doesn't really exist. And you know, growth in the full price channel doesn't exist. And so you know, I think it undoubtedly is helpful to us. Um, so Oftentimes, so Stitrix is one of the companies that uh, probably more so than others, I get people floating me revenue numbers, what they think, because for a long time you guys have been... They're uh, floating them to you or you're fishing for them? Um, <laughs> Kara Swisher's my boss, so like, what, what do you think? So I'm doing my job. So anyway, point, at a very, so you, know, you hear 700 million annual revenue, 900 million, billion dollars. I'm assuming we're not going to get an answer out of you tonight, but maybe you'll make my night, how big you guys are. I'll stop the question there. I appreciate, I mean, I, we haven't hit a billion dollars. I'll tell you that. Um, we don't disclose our revenue numbers. Um, but, you know, we've been really excited about the growth that we've seen. And we've been really excited about the growth vectors that we've seen. And so we've talked to you about men's. We talked about plus size. Um, and both of those businesses um, have grown really quickly in a short period of time. So I won't give you exact revenue numbers, but I'll give you some ratios nothing that else, you might nothing enjoy. Nothing else matters. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, our men's business in six months got to be as large as it took about three and a half years for us to build our women's business. Um, and our plus size business, we're less than a month. Um, and I believe in about less than a month, we will do about as much as we did in 12 months. I did not first, catch that I'm last sorry, one. the first 12 months of okay. Stitch Fix, so the Got first it. year of Stitch Fix. And so what's exciting about that, I think, is um, you know, not only can we continue to grow and, um, and really improve our women's core brand, but that these growth factors um, are really exciting to see, not just the growth of the top line, frankly, but really the health of it. And so on the men's side, um, you know, we can look at how many items people are keeping. We can see how successful is each style. Um, you know, kind of are all men of these. shopping for men, or is it women who were Stitch Fix customers shopping for men or, I don't know. Yeah. Inter who, is, who is the You male can customer? do both. Yeah. yeah, so you actually can sign up as a woman for a man. Um, interestingly, it's mostly men shopping for men. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of data out there around men are becoming more fashion aware and men are showing more of an interest what in the category think? and no. looking good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, that was fishing. Um, so, <laughs> so, so another, you know, one of my big, overarching questions on the business model you guys have is do women and men like need this much clothing every month or two 
And I mean, and maybe, I mean, even if they have the money to do so, even if you're hitting that sweet spot of budget. So do you, are people, like how often are people churning out? Like, can you give me any idea why um, I should feel more confident? Like the sustainability, <laughs> well, you don't have to convince me, but the sustainability of business, like what do you see with churn? Do people come back? Like how big of an issue is it? Yeah, so I mean, the, you know, the, I didn't correct you earlier, but the cadence is really something now. that people, yeah. you know, enjoy, but their a la carte has been something that you can do since the beginning. And so, um, you know, the backbone of what we do is, is personalization. And so we have people who come to us and are just like, I just need a new pair of jeans, send me five pairs of jeans. Um, and so, and even the five things, frankly, doesn't matter. And so as we look into the future and look into the things that we're working on, um, you know, breaking the molds of some of the things that we might be known for now that have helped to make us successful, um, the backbone of what really helps to make successful is the personalization element. Um, and so, you know, retention is incredibly important. And it's also actually one of the things that I think we're best in the world at. And that's really because of the trust and the connection we have with our clients. And so 90% of the time when somebody is checking out and letting us know what they're keeping and not keeping, they're letting us know why. And when they're disappointed, they're letting us know why. And so letting us know why and saying, I'm disappointed because I'm looking for premium brands and you don't have them now, that actually helps us to be able to understand how we can serve her better in the future. Um, and so, of course, yeah, retention is, of course, very important, and it's also, you know, I think one of the things we can be best at. Another, you know, trend we've seen over the last few years, maybe longer than that, is the idea that customers are being trained by department stores and other retailers to look to only shop on sale. And one of the things interesting about your business is they're re unless you're buying the whole, you're not getting a discount unless you're buying the whole box, right? And so I wonder how much, like, is that, do you think you can do that, you know, forever? In, which is not not put items on sale, um, not feed into how people have been trained, and if so, how? Yeah. So I mean, firstly, just for any customers, like we we price match. So it's not if if you ever find anything on sale at another retailer, come let us know, and we will absolutely match the price. And so it's. I feel not, like in your early days, there were some examples of like people finding a tag from Nordstrom Rack or something, and no. <laughs> We, that um, that example, um, it's a longer story for that, but okay. that was actually a vendor shipment issue, and so that was something that got shipped to us that was supposed to be shipped to Nordstrom Rack seven months later and had just got packed in the wrong box, and we explained that to the reporter and explained that to the client. Of course, that side never made it through. And I'm asking about it four years later. <laughs> exactly, and it was about four years ago, I believe. Um, and so um, and so it actually wasn't on sale in Nordstrom Rack at the same time as our channel. It was like a missed ticket. But you, but but you, do, price, case, you do price match. We do price match when you see that out there. And we always have, actually. So um, the on the other question around the kind of the full price and the nature of the model, um, yeah, I think part of the crisis that we're seeing in retail right now is that if, if your retail store is merely a place for a transaction where you tender cash and you take a product home, and that's the only value that your store delivers, like you are in trouble. Um, and I think part of the race to the bottom that we've seen is that if you are in that business, you are now in a global marketplace that is all competing for cheapest and fastest. And so if what you're looking for is an exact, you already know, I'm looking for an iPhone charger, I'm looking for, I don't know, this ice cube tray, that was the last thing I bought, um, this ice cube tray, you're looking for a specific thing, um, you're in this global marketplace of where can I get it cheapest and fastest. Um, the reality is that doesn't work when you're looking for a pair of 
of jeans. You're not looking for the cheapest and fastest pair of jeans. In fact, you just want jeans that fit you well. And that's very hard to do online today and that without Stitch Fix. And it's very hard to do in stores today with the way that stores um, have been trending with staffing and talent. And so, um, you know, I think it depends on what you're looking for. And, you know, for us, the value add is, um, of course, we want to offer the best price. And so we will offer the best price in the market. Um, but the value that you're really getting is the personalization and finding jeans that fit and finding a dress that looks great on you. Do you get more or less like inbound acquisition partnership interest from traditional companies than you would expect of this size of your company? Ooh, that's a, I don't know what I should expect. I don't know. Um, I you mean, know your business. Right? <laughs> um, you know, honestly, like we've been really heads down and I think the market kind of knows that. And so um, I wouldn't say that we're flooded with anything. That's okay. what you're asking. Yeah. And um, well, you know, obviously in my space and among um, uh, investors, there's always looking forward at uh, what are the potential public companies that are private right now. Is that your vision for the company? Um, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not like some big shiny goal that we want to achieve. At some point, that may be part of our future. And, you know, we're really focused on making sure that that path is available to us whenever we choose to walk down that path. Um, but, you know, we don't have any goals around it. We don't have any, like, timelines or milestones. You do um, have venture capital investors. We do. And, but, you know, I think we also, we haven't raised in years. And we have very supportive investors. Um, and, you know, I think we're very lucky to be able to have their support in whatever path we want to choose when we want to choose it. Uh, I'm not sure how many people in the audience know you're on the board of a public company, um, Grubhub, which, which owns Seamless in New York, and Grubhub, the brand all over the US, food delivery. Um, I, believe, I, be, I believe you took the seat of uh, one of your board members or something along, Bill Gurley, a uh, venture capitalist. Uh, what have you learned through that experience of being on a board of a public company? I'm assuming this was your first it the is. first board you've been yes. on? Um, I mean, it's been fascinating. I think you really, you learn how, um, you learn how other companies kind of look at their metrics. You learn how um, even just running a board meeting and um, being on the other side and realizing, oh, this is something that I could be doing better for my board, my board members. And I mean, there's so much to learn and um, especially being in a public company and be, having seen it go up and down and up again. And, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating to learn from. Um, I want well, I'll, one more thing, and then we'll turn it over to the audience. Um, quick story: I once caught Jeff Bezos very briefly backstage at a Recode event. I made the mistake of asking him what he was wearing, trying to see if he was wearing Amazon clothing. Um, we got <laughs> we got into a discussion, and it ended up in a place where he was talking about how he thinks in the future of fashion is mixing technology with a personal touch, which I thought sounded very much like one company I knew. And so I'm curious how you, do you pay attention to what's Amazon doing? You know, they've launched some, uh, pick out your outfit and a stylist over the app will tell you what looks good on you. Jeff's not doing the picking, I'm told. But um, I'm curious, how do you view Amazon? Like people have looked at them as a potential acquirer with the money um, to pick up someone like Stitch Fix. Um, very interested in fashion. How do you view them as a threat or partner or what? Um, well, thanks for asking. I'm wearing Stitch Fix. <laughs> um, in terms of Amazon, I mean, it's hard not to watch what Amazon's doing. And they are phenomenal at what they do. And, um, and you know, I think 
we really focus on a different value proposition is the way that I see it. And in a lot of ways, um, I have so much respect for what they do, but a lot of ways the, thing that we focus, the things that we focus on are kind of like anti-Amazon, of like if they're focused on cheapest and fastest, like we're kind of not focused on that. Um, and so, you know, I really think of the kind of skill set and capabilities that we're developing as being um, quite different from what they're doing. Um, but so a perfect acquisition fit is what you're saying. Well, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, and yeah. I'm not, you know, I, I have no idea what they're thinking of what their strategy is, but um, they're an impressive company. We keep an eye on what they're doing, and um, I haven't tried out their outfit app thing yet. We but... can d we could do it over drinks afterward, maybe. Okay, great. Okay, uh, any questions from the audience? I'm sure, we got some. Otherwise, I will call on people. Uh, oh, great! We have one. Uh, we'll start back there, and then we'll get Mr. Dunn over here. Tell us who you are. I'm Billy May. I'm not the infomercial guy. Um, where, where, do you, where do you work, Billy? Uh, I did work at Abercrombie & Fitch. Okay. Um, so you talked a lot about the customer data and a little bit in private label. Can you talk about how you're using the customer data to drive private label and how you're shortening product development? Absolutely. Um, did you so, plant that question? That's a really good question. I know. It's a really good question. Are you taking notes? No. I'm trying. Woo! <laughs> 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 Uh, um, on um, so our customer data. So I mean, this the as I think about what what we do that no other retailer is doing. Um, I get a lot of people who say to me, like, it would be so awesome if my customers would tell me my bra size and when they're pregnant. Like, how do you get them to do that? Um, and it's an interesting question because if kind of a place like if you were in a Walgreens and they're like, okay, now fill out this three-page survey to let us know all of this your weight and height and whatever, like why would you do that? And so, um, you know, it's an interesting, the trust that we have with our customer is such a deep part of um, what makes us very powerful. Um, but with that is there kind of, there's an implicit contract that that data is gonna help us make her or his experience better. And so there are times when I've, we, I've had a client who shared with me um, that she was pregnant when she was like six weeks in and this happened to be somebody I knew and I had this moment of like, oh wait, this is weird. Like I shouldn't know that. She probably hasn't told her family yet and you know, she's telling her stitch fix stylist who then sent her fix to me to QA because it was a friend of mine. And so, you know, these moments, that deep relationship that people have with our brand and people have with their stylist is, um, it's, really, it's really valuable and it's really precious and we have to treat it that way. And so when somebody shares that with us, they're sharing it with us so that we can send her clothes that are going to fit her through her pregnancy um, and that she's going to feel great in. And that's and so that contract that we have is that people share with us because we have to show that we can make their experience better over time. In terms of our exclusive brands, um, the data that, um, that, I, that I mentioned earlier, actually, for example, with woven shirts, we can actively see that um, we, we create our own products. We also have you know, hundreds, maybe probably thousands at this point of vendors who create products. And so we can actually learn, we have points of measurement on all the men's woven shirts. And so we can actually learn that, oh, these measurements are actually working better for our small guy, our size small guy who wants a slim fit shirt. And these are working better for a regular fit shirt so that we can evolve our fit blocks over time. Um, we also can have kind of a nimbler supply chain. And so um, one example is that um, we can, 
it's a long, I'm trying to shorten these okay. things, but we can basically take like a bunch, we can take 10 different styles and say, we want to try to figure out what's going to be best for a 20 year old client and try 10 different styles. And within two weeks, we can already see these two are winners, these eight, let's dump, let's like pair these two off. And then using a domestic supply chain, we can really quickly iterate to be able to understand and produce product that's going to be kind of targeted against an assortment that we're looking for. How long is that? Within a couple, like within how long two from weeks, we can get, get a read, and then if it's domestic supply chain, within another two weeks, we can do a deeper buy. Um, we got Andy. I got the mic, so I'm going. Stand up, please. Tell us who you are. <laughs> Hi, I'm Andy. Andy, where What's do you up, work? What's up, Katrina? Hi, Andy. That's all I had. And Andy works at Bonobo. <laughs> Question for you: Stores. Ten years from now, do you see an experiential, you know? retail footprint for Stitch Fix or not so much? I mean, it's not something that we're focused on right now. Um, and, you know, frankly, I think with stores, it's, I've, we've seen them be successful for so many other people, and we've learned a lot from that. But right now, it's not an area where we're super super focused in. But if we were going to do it, to your point, I think, you know, is it experiential? Is it value add? Is it, I mean, I think there's a question around, like, what is the reason for being for the store? And um, I don't think we kind of have that right thing yet. So it's not something we're focused on. Got one right here. Yeah. Uh, Steve Vidoris with Turn 5. So it seems like every big retailer is talking about exclusive brands and private label. You mentioned you have them, but it's not grown over the past couple of years. Is that just you don't see it as important right now, or is it not part of the long-term strategy? I mean, it's definitely part of our strategy. It's a meaningful part of our sales, but um, you know, we're not we're not anticipating that it's going to be like all of our business or something like that. Like for us, the our vendor base actually is like they provide so. Their branded products that people are looking for. Their, um, you know, their ways for us to experiment and to be able to try all kinds of different types of fits. For example, um, our vendor base adds so much value to us that um, that they're very important to us. And so, exclusive brands is a very important part of our portfolio. But the vendors are also. And so, you know, I think we have a nice synergy with with both. All right, I think we're going to have to stop there, Katrina. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. And be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, in which Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Friday, I host Two Embarrassed Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. You can find all these shows and more at Recode.net or wherever you listen to your podcasts.